So we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 today, and while you're turning there, some of you are thinking, the guy's gone half crazy, he's got a coat on, it's the middle of summer, what's with the coat? Well, it's because the air conditioning here is so cold. No, that's not really. Uh, Mostly because I want you to kind of be aware that when we look at people and we see what they're wearing, we make some assumptions about them. Like if I was to be wearing this in the middle of summer, you'd think the guy's half crazy, whereas in the winter it would seem quite normal, and... um, we, we judge people, if you will. We, we assess people often based on what they're wearing, and we can even understand a little bit about their lifestyles or maybe their professions. For example, I want you to look at a few slides and see if you can figure out what these people do for a living. Like, here's the first slide. What do you think that guy does for a living? Well, I think he's actually a model for a living, but I think he's... Tra- <laughs> Because he's portraying that he's a construction worker, though to me it doesn't really fit the profile. Those gloves look a little too clean, and the hard hat has no scratches on it. But nonetheless, he is trying to get us to believe that he's a construction worker. What about this person? Flight attendant? Scarf gives it away, the dark clothing. People can spill stuff on their clothes, and it doesn't, you know, passengers can spill on it, right? Okay, here's another one. A rabbi, yeah, that's called a phylactery, what he has up there. It's uh, full of scriptures, little handwritten scriptures. that they, they Remember when scripture says to tie them on your foreheads? They're actually doing that intentionally. Here's another one. Surgeons, right? All right, they're in a, an operating theater. You can see the lights behind them. And so you go immediately, you kind of know who they are, what they do for a living. What about this next guy? Where does he go for, to work? So he would go to a kitchen for work, right? So that's where he goes. What about, where, is this next, where are these next people off to? <laughs> Somebody say home? No. <laughs> Actually, Leslie and I were headed to a 50s event where we had to dress like we're in the 50s. So yeah. You, so basically my point is we, we have this understanding of what people do or how they're, what their schedule is, whatever, uh, often based on what they're wearing. I want to talk with you today about how do people identify you based on what you wear, both for the good and the bad, and not just what you wear in terms of your clothing, but how you carry your life. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 to do that. Romans chapter 13 is about this far through the Bible, and I invite you to turn there. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Take it home as our gift to you, all right? You can see the page numbers on the screen behind me. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 8, the Apostle Paul is writing 30 years or so after Jesus has risen from the dead and gone to heaven. We read this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Romans 13, verse 8, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and here's a few of them, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Whereas if you murder somebody, that kind of does some harm to them usually, right? Okay. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So in light of how we should love one another, In light of how we need to kind of be ready for what's coming, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Take the old clothing off, 
put on some new clothing, namely the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, do this, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's what we're doing today, as we look at this passage of Scripture and this idea of taking off some old clothes and putting on some new clothes. We're carrying on our look, uh, both this week and next week, as we continue to examine the book of Romans. Uh, Romans being a book that has the, gives us the basic understanding of Jesus' mission on, on earth and a person's response to what occurred as a result of his death and his resurrection. I mean, lots of people know Jesus came and died, but why did he die and what are the results of that? And we've learned as we've made our way through Romans that there is nothing that anyone can do to avoid sin's impact on their own individual lives. We all suffer the consequences of bad choices or bad behavior. And sometimes we even suffer the consequences or the results of someone else's bad choices or bad behavior. And this is stated very plainly at the beginning of the book. In Romans chapter 3, we read this, that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is excluded from that. And in the discussion prior to that passage in Romans 3, it's all about different bloodlines and this, this group of people and that group of people and the comparison from one to another. And then he sums it all up and he says, but here's the bottom line. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Jesus died so that sin would be forgiven. This is the story of Romans. The wages of sin, the paycheck that you and I have earned as a result of that sin is, if you will, eternal death or hell. Romans 6 talks about that. And that's what's due us. That's what's coming our way, the eventual end of our journey if sin is not forgiven. But the good news is that we have experienced grace through Jesus Christ that we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, that God offered grace through Jesus Christ, and our lives are redeemed. We are bought back. We are made whole. We are made complete. Our sin is forgiven. And, and that, in a nutshell, in those two minutes right there, was the first part of the book of Romans. And we said that that was particularly the way in which Romans was laid out all the way through chapter 12, where the author was building a case for Christian grace. And he said, whereas this was in play, and whereas this was in play, and because of this, and in light of that, and spin this theological plate over here, and keep it all in tension, and do whereas, 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 and then you'll find a big therefore. Chapter 12, if you look there at the beginning of chapter 12, is the big turn in the book. You've got all these clauses and all these legal language ideas, and you get to chapter 12 and therefore. And so from chapter 12 on, it's how do, how do we respond to God's grace. How, if, if God has given us all this stuff, what's next? Chapter 13, we read, uh, is in fact a passage that deals with practical living stuff about relationships. Basically, once a theology of grace has been established, how are we going to live that? And how are we going to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ so we are recognized to be people of grace? And I would ask you this question. Are you known for grace? Do you clothe yourself in, in God's grace for your life, and then do you let others clothe themselves in grace? I mean, when people look at you, what do they see? Do they see grace covering you, and then do they see you extending that grace to other people? You know, I, I guess you could put it this way. In a world where there is not a lot of grace, 
in a world where there's lots of finger pointing, are you the odd person out? Are you the one who people go, well, well everybody else is this, this shape, this color, this, this dress this way, but that guy's dressed differently? As a matter of fact, look at this slide, okay? What do you see? Is, I, I, any idea who they would all be rooting for? They're really good people. I'm a Cards fan. They're my, they're my peeps. All right, all right. And I hear, by the way, I hear, by the way, that if things keep going and if the Cubbies win a wild card, who would have ever thunk that? But nonetheless, it's feasible that the Cards and the Cubs could be in the playoff playing against each other. That is going to be a blast, okay? But having said all that, what do you see that's a little unusual in that slide? The guy in the blue shirt. Here's my observation of him. He's a Cubs fan, right? He's the, in this particular case, he must be the odd man out. And I want to ask you this. As people look at you and you're in the crowd, do they see you as being different in the good way? Being different in a way that says, hey, it would be better if we were all like that guy, okay? How do we do that? Well, Scripture gives us some ideas. It says, we just read, Chapter 13, let's put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we put off these deeds of darkness and clothe ourselves in lifestyles that point to Christ? Because like you in that regard, as compared to how others live, I want people to see Christ. I want people to see me covered in grace so that I can then extend grace to, the, to them. Romans chapter 13, verse 13 gives us a way to do that. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. In other words, we live one way in the daytime, but in the nighttime, when no one's looking, we'll act a different way. How do we put off the deeds of darkness? Well, we live as if we would always see the light of day by acknowledging, you know, truth be told, there's some potential darkness in you. There's some potential darkness within me. And Scripture is quite clear that that potential darkness has... Um, has some implications, and one day, all that private darkness stuff will be seen. I mentioned this last week, though the story continues to unfold. We see, the, we see this in a, in a very strong reality, these private online accounts of this Ashley Madison website. Are you familiar with this story? This is a website that was for people who were looking to have an affair outside of their marriage. And apparently you could have an account there. You had to pay a certain amount each month. And then they'd hook you up with other people who wanted an affair. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, somebody hacked all those 20 million people had accounts. And this was the tagline of the, of the website. Life is short, have an affair. And uh, people's names now who were hacked have been, paid, have been put on public forums and um, you're seeing people of some renown on there. You're seeing people with all kinds of addresses that you go, wow, that's just... As a matter of fact, there are only three zip codes in the entire country not represented in those accounts. Think about that. In other words, this is the entire country is covered in this. Some men have committed suicide as a result of this. They didn't want people to be aware of this. I was reading a blog on, late in the week by a fellow by the name of Ed Stetzer. He writes for Christianity Today. This is what he said. Based on conversations with leaders from several denominations in the U.S. and Canada, he said that he expects some 400 pastors and church leaders to resign from their positions this weekend, right now, because their names were on those lists that were made public. 
I want to tell you, friend, that website, its tagline is all wrong. Life is not short. Life is, in fact, very long. It is made of an eternal fabric and an eternal timeline that is carried from this earth. And that, that fabric and that, that, it stretches all the way to either heaven or to hell. And the premise of the website is so inaccurate. Those are the deeds of darkness. And the deeds of darkness will be made light one day. So the, our way, way to respond, that, respond to that is to start living as if all we do will be made public and acknowledge the potential darkness within each of us. And then, did you notice the decision here for new thinking that's required? Verse 14, all right? It says, don't live as if it's all nighttime. Live as if it's daytime. Let's behave decently in the daytime. Don't do these things like carousing and drunkenness and so forth. And this, then verse 14 starts with the word rather. It means a move is needed on your part. Did you catch the way the Australian just came out right then? That rather came out? Just like, I, I, I work hard, guys, to make sure it doesn't come out, but rather just came out. <laughs> Happens all the time. Okay. So rather, rather than living the way you used to live, we want you to live this new way. All right? So I could do it. You used to live this way, but now take the old clothes off, take the old way off and put on the new clothes. We saw this in Romans 12 last week where Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the, by the what? By the renewing of your mind. Get some new thinking going. And that new thinking has to not only involve grace for yourself, but indeed grace for others as well. Look again at our passage. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. How are you going to think about other people in this graceful thinking? A debt that no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. And then he gives a list of the old way of doing things. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Apparently, there's an old approach to life. Namely, don't do something. Don't murder. Well, that's a good way to... I mean, we should keep that, I would think. I mean, it's good not to murder your neighbor, right? That's a good thing to do. It's good not to steal. But that's passive. A Christian goes beyond just what am I going to avoid. Instead, I'm going to have a proactive approach, approach to how I'm going to work. It just came out again. How am I going to work with... Uh, for the people across the street, both literally and figuratively. Sometimes we have this passive approach. As long as I don't murder them, then that's okay. So it's like I'm standing in my living room. I'm looking through the blinds, through the mini blinds, through the curtains, and they're over there. And as long as I don't harm them, then that's okay. But what this is about is saying I'm going to get from my living room into their kitchen and extend grace to them. And they're going to they're gonna learn how I live so that they might choose to live that way. You can do it in a variety of ways, all based on their individual needs and their individual, you know, uh, circumstances and the way in which they live. And here's one way particularly, and I'm going to give you a just straight-up shameless plug right now, okay? Ten days from now, we've got this event coming up called Real Encounter. It's in your program. Could you pull that out? Just so you're aware of what this is. This is an invitation card. This isn't just for you to be aware of it. But real encounter, okay? Here's our sense. 
is that you know lots of people who need to have the grace of God brought to bear in their lives. And we'd like, as leaders of the church, we'd like to make this commitment to you. If you'll, in, if you'll introduce your friends and your neighbors to the church, we'll do all we can to help you introduce them to Jesus Christ as well. You get them here at the Real Encounter. They're going to hear the story of Jesus Christ. We're going to have bikes flying through the air, and there's going to be BMX and motocross and the whole thing. I mean, it's going to be a blast. It's 6.30 a week from Wednesday. I want you to, we're, and next week we'll give you information about where you need to park and all that sort of stuff. But start thinking now, who is it that you're going to invite? And then the weekend following is when Room for Doubt starts. It's been, we've been very intentional about how this has come together. Real encounter, people come and experience us. Then the following weekend, they can come and ask their questions. And the first question of that Room for Doubt series is, what if I doubt? What if I don't believe there is a God? Is that okay? And we're going to tell them. We're going to explain to them, hey, that's okay. We've got room for doubt. And we've got a willingness to answer questions. So take this. You've got two of them in your program. Use them this weekend, okay? Don't just pitch them. Because... Our understanding, as followers of Jesus Christ, it says, verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to put on the clothing of Jesus Christ, then how can we, with some new thinking, extend that grace to other people? It goes back to kind of what we looked at last week. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, says that we are uh, to examine our own lives. For by the grace given to every one of you, pardon me, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, have a clear assessment of who you are uh, in accordance with the measure of faith God has distributed to you. We have looked in the past at what it means to have an accurate assessment of who we are, that we can see ourselves covered in the grace of God. We've worked all the way through Romans 12. I'm covered in God's grace, and I can have an accurate assessment of my abilities and gifts and even my shortcomings, all from the perspective of grace. And we said that sober judgment involves an accurate acknowledgement of our faults, but then in the context of Romans, we see God's grace covering all of them, our faults and our gifts, allowing us to excel in God-given gifts and abilities. And if that's good for us, and if it's all within the context of grace, then how are we going to love other people? Well, we need to be able to see them for who they are, an accurate assessment of them, sober judgment for them. And I would say that sober judgment includes seeing not only their gifts, but also their struggles, and maybe helping them to understand how grace could cover that. In other words, we grace without ignoring who they are, and this is uh, kind of different than what seems to be popular thinking of late in some quarters. See, some misuse scripture in this regard. They expect Christians to blindly accept others without any discernment regarding those people's behavior or the state of who they are, of where they are. And that, that's not biblical. We go, well, Jesus said don't judge. Well, yeah, he said don't judge, but... That's just two words in a long sentence that have been pulled out of context. That's not the full extent of what Jesus meant and what he said. He was talking, at, when he said don't judge, he was talking about don't judge from a position of being a hypocrite. People forget that. They're being hypocrites because they don't want to hear the whole story even, right? Jesus didn't say judging is sinful and prohibited. Rather, he said a hypocritical attitude and harshness toward others is wrong when it comes to assessing their lives. 
We are never to correct someone out in an area of concern in their lives with a spirit of personal pride. Instead, we judge with the spirit of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians says, look at people's lives with a spirit of gentleness. Judging or evaluating someone's life, with it has to be done with this understanding. That apart from God's grace toward us, we would be lost hopelessly caught in our own sin. And when we look at other people, we don't say, man, look at your, your, your sinner. But on the other hand, we don't have to just ignore it either. We come to a very, a very good place in the middle. You could think of it as a, as, an, as a continuum. On the one hand, you've got ignoring that sin. On the other hand, you've got condemning it. And we've got lots of people who do both. A very strong accurate biblical approach that was to be right in the middle with what I would call a gracing methodology. After all, did Jesus look past your faults? Well, no. He came and died for them so that they could be forgiven, so that grace could be all over them. He was quite aware of who we are. But then he looks beyond them and we receive grace. I mean, Jesus didn't come and die for you because you were lovely. Right? I mean, it's not that I'm intrinsically beautiful per se when it comes to my sin. As a matter of fact, I know that sin within me is ugly. And maybe I need to have this kind of prayer toward the person that is in front of me. I think this is a graceful prayer. I'm convinced it's a graceful prayer. God, I know that I was so unattractive to you as compared to that person when it comes to my sin. Yet you were tortured, Jesus, and you were killed on my behalf. You gave your life for me. And Lord, as that grace has been applied to my life, I'm willing to give up some of my time and effort to apply that same grace to another person. Can we get there? We're aware of who they are and all their struggles, just as we're aware of our own. We don't don't just ignore that. Instead, we ask God's grace to cover us and to cover them. So... With that in mind, then, let me see if I can put all this together in a way that carries on with our practice of recent weeks. Um, because what we've been doing, uh, we've been saying uh, throughout the week, last few weeks that Romans builds a case for a great theology of Christian grace, a way in which we can experience that grace. And what we've said is that there are all these whereas statements that need to get to a therefore, and we're building all these clauses, all this legal language, and that chapter 12 was the major turning point of the book, and now we're moving forward. So I've put some things on the screen that I want you to read, and if you need to get your phone out and make a photo of this, feel free. That's not weird around here, okay? It says, whereas I have sinned, whereas I was, because I know you can't write that fast, okay? Unless you're a speed writer, but nonetheless. This is what we've done so far in Romans. Whereas I have sinned, whereas I was lost eternally and separated from God in this life as a result of sin, whereas Jesus died for that sin, bringing the possibility of grace to me, and whereas I live in that grace in this life, and whereas that grace will cover me all the way to heaven, therefore I will love others by extending a similar grace to them in regards to how I view them and how I treat them. God's grace for them is the measure I use when evaluating their lives and actions. Can you live there? Can you live there in light of what God has done? As a matter of fact, would you read it with me, okay? Whereas I have sinned, whereas I was lost eternally and separated from God in this life as a result of sin, 
Whereas Jesus died for that sin, bringing the possibility of grace to me. Whereas I live in that grace in this life. And whereas that grace will cover me all the way to heaven. Therefore, I will love others by extending a similar grace to them in regards to how I will view and treat them. God's grace for them is the measure I use when evaluating their lives and actions. Now, we're going to spend some more time with that next week because we've built this case by case by case and we need some practical living now. So we're going to spend this week and next week in how we grace other people's lives. And then we step into the Room for Doubt series. So I want to invite you this week to read through to the end of Romans in preparation for next week. But before we get to any of that, I again want to remind you of how all this whereas, whereas, whereas has some practical implications by pointing you now, not just to chapter 13, but to the end of chapter 12. We didn't get to this last week. And because it's going to give us more information on how we're to act in a world that seems half crazy at times. How do we remove this clothing of ugliness and put on clothing that others will recognize as loving and grace-filled? Look with me, chapter 12, verse 14. This is a new way to act, a new coat of grace to put on your own life and how to put that grace on other people's. Bless those who persecute you. That's different thinking. That's countercultural, isn't it? To bless those who persecute. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful of what to do is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And that's it's one thing to feed poor people. It's a different thing to feed your enemy, right? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Well, here's the, here's the ultimate countercultural statement. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, friends, choosing to overcome evil good with good, choosing to never repay anyone evil for evil, choosing to love people in grace because they don't deserve it, well, that is indeed countercultural. It's graceful. It's God's given power within you to work and to act in their lives. And I believe that the people of this congregation are up to having us raise the bar and say, we will not act in evil ways when people speak evil of us or do evil to us. We will act differently. That is going to be the mar- one of the marks and one of the measures of our congregation. And I want it to be one of the marks and measures of your life. Because frankly, friends, the world is not like that. I could put it this way. Then in a world of anger and mistrust, and gossip, in a world that is full of attitudes that like, I'm going to get ahead of you through lies and cheating, in a world where it's dog-eat-dog, where far too many view life as a short-lived experiment, and where any lifestyle is viewed simply as amoral and thus celebrated, in a world where the behaviors of of the darkness, carousing and drunkenness, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy rule the day, 
In a world where revenge-taking is the norm and evil rules far too often, there in that world, there is a group of people, a collective body constructed from individual lives, a collection of like-minded citizens who are not ruled by evil. They are covered with God's grace. They are grace-filled and grace-covered persons who extend grace to all who don't deserve grace. And that is the nature of grace. That is the nature of this community called the church. That is the nature of these Christ followers, these people of love, these people called Christians. When I wrote that this week, it occurred to me you needed to hear all that in a world business in a different approach, in a way that may be more contemporary than me just reading it like that. So I asked our tech team to help me do in a world in a new way. And so with that, guys, roll the tape. Brad, let's hear your voice do it. In a world of anger, mistrust, gossip, with attitudes of, I'm gonna get ahead of you, through lies and cheating. In a world where it's dog-eat-dog, where far too many view life as a short-lived experiment, where any lifestyle is viewed as amoral and celebrated. In a world where the behaviors of the darkness, carousing and drunkenness, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy rule the day. In a world where revenge-taking is the norm, and evil rules far too often. There is a group of people, a collective body constructed from individual lives, a collection of like-minded citizens who are not ruled by evil. They are grace-filled and grace-covered persons who extend grace to all who don't deserve grace. That is the nature of grace. That is the nature of this community called the church. That is the nature of these Christ followers, these people of love, these people called Christians. All right. <laughs> Would you stand together, please, and let's pray. Let's pray how, about how we're going to live that out this week, okay? Pray with me, please. God. You call us to live differently than the world around us. And uh, while we may have made a, that setting there may have made us smile and we make fun of what we hear in the movies, on the other hand, God, really what we're called to do is pretty dramatic. It is big stuff. It is big picture stuff. And it is way beyond what the culture expects as the norm. Help us to extend grace to other people, even as you have extended grace to us. Huh. I don't want to live with the deeds of darkness, Lord, being made light and em embarrassing you or embarrassing the church, embarrassing the witness of Jesus Christ. I want to live in a way, God, where people look at me and say, he's the odd man out. He's a man of grace. God, may we all live there this week, we pray. Continue to pour your forgiveness over our lives in a way that enables us to um, be willing then to pour it over other people's lives. We thank you for your word today.
its work within us, calling us to how we will act in the places where we have to go this week, um, in our neighborhoods, in talking to people across the office floor or at the factory, God, or wherever we go, God, in the schoolrooms. May we be people who are recognized as covered in your grace, we pray in Christ's name.